Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. My fellow Amerigasters, our nation is in crisis. The homosexuals, not, 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 not the homosexuals, the, the homo sapiens, man. They're coming into Europe from the Middle East with their superior technology and behaviorally modem Levi's jeans. Well, we need our shorts here with our ability to make fire, our ability to speak a foreign language, and make stone tools using the levitation technique. Not, 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 not levitation, but we're intelligent and complex, man. Come on. That's why I've sent Vice Pina Colada Hairlip to launch a full-scale attack on the Homo Carpathians and kick them out of Natathal territory. Even though they are extremely attractive and would love to sex time with them and smell their hair, they have these bow and tarot card things. Not, 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 not bow and tarot cards, man. Bow and arrow things, man. The bad dudes, man. They can launch their small and large peepees from long distances. Just like, you know, Neanderthals use thrusting beers. Not, not, not thrusting beers. Spears, man. We gotta get these guys. Don't worry, though. Uncle President Joe Roganthal is on the case. Because Indiana Jones, logically, without the preserved shafts and the project miles, there's no way to know for sure if they even had Johnny Jeb blow technologies. Not, not, not blow tech, but bow technology, man. It's a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about. You broke a new Carlton! <laughs> 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 While you guys were doing the outline, I, I wrote that piece of gold. Okay. And, right. and for reference, if you guys haven't seen it, call Kyle Dunnigan, Joe Biden impression. It's the best. <sighs> All right. So today we're going to talk about a new paper that came out called, oh, I guess, welcome to episode 146 of the Life Mirrors podcast. Uh, muted, Carlton, bud. you are muted. So we just had a conversation about being careful. <laughs> And David just starts off with the homosexuals are invading. Well, I corrected. It was a homosexual. It was homo erectus, man. Homo homo sapiens. Uh, <laughs> so here's the deal. Welcome to episode 146 of the Life Nerds podcast. I'm your host, David Howe, and I'm joined by my co-host, Connor Johnnan and Carlton Schilke-Jover, professor extraordinaire. We're today talking about a new p- paper from Lori Metz, Metz, more of a Yankees fan, uh, and it's the bow and arrow technology of the first modern humans in Europe 54,000 years ago at Mangan, France. For those- yeah, we're, we're going to set the stage a little bit more. So the time period that this paper is referencing is called the, the Upper Paleolithic in Europe. Carlton is still broken, like some of these stone tool technologies. He's been thrown against the wall. <laughs> The Upper Paleolithic in uh, in Europe. So we got at least two different species of humans, right? So we got to define species, but for the lack of a better term, yes. We have different types of Here we go again. We, we've, we've gone over this podcast before. It's Homo sapien anderthalensis and Homo sapiens, Homo sapien sapien. Yes. So same species, just different subspecies. <sighs> What episode was that? That was like an early on argument about... That was a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. 
We did a promo too. There was a commercial that we recorded. Do you remember that? We, we did. I do remember the promo. The lumpers and splitters. I'll, I'll just to, to say it really quickly. You got Homo erectus leave Africa and they go into Europe, into Asia. Those kind of evolve into their own things, which are Neanderthals and then Denisovans. And then modern humans are co- like constantly boiling and like interbreeding in Africa. And then they leave and replace those Neanderthal and Denisovan populations and all interbreed together, which they were all interbreeding. So in a sense, I would say we're all just mutant Homo erectus. But for, yeah, I agree. for the purposes of this paper, it's like there's Neanderthals in Europe and then there's modern humans coming into Europe. Would you guys what agree? was that for? Yeah. Um, and we can, Neanderthals and, and Homo erectus are doing pretty distinct different stone tool technology. Neanderthals yes. are associated with the Mysterian stone tool tech. Lots of blades, is that right? Neanderthals? What's Mysterian? Mysterian is like the Neanderthal tool complex. That's not the level of technique. It's just like, you got like choppers. Uh, axes kind of bifacially looking things there, there are some blades associated with them too and like triangular points right i'm trying to think about it without looking at it yeah yeah that's right uh triangle points uh, both the uh, both of them have bifacial technology homo erectus does as well but they are they look different than what homo erectus is is using which is the shulian stone tool technology mm-hmm I think they're they're more. I don't know. I feel like the people give judgment on like the more primitive, less primitive, but they're just different technologies. Uh, um, yeah, and you could even like argue that you could separate the species, like quote unquote species, through their cultural complexes of tools, uh, mm-hmm. more so than their like bodies. But I, I think the conventional wisdom would be to just separate them by their biology. That's kind of what most people are familiar with. But yeah, it took yeah. me a year to be able to make an Ashley and hand axe, like just like without having to think really hard about it. So it's yeah, complex. and they're, they're, they're bifacially worked and you know, this, the use for analysis and impact fractures, et cetera, really show that they're these multi-use tools. They're the Swiss army knives of stone tool technology for Homo erectus. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else. So yeah, the, that's, it's kind of what's going on. Generally, we don't, yeah, we have evidence of Homo erectus does foray into into Europe, but it's not like like battening down the hatches and really investing and in, and in getting yeah. far. Yeah, and as we were talking about before the show, like Homo erectus is like more known for being an Asian species, whereas Homo ergaster is more associated with Europe. But I think Carlton pointed out they're mostly just in Southern Europe, like in the Iberian Peninsula. So I can't recall off the top of my head, but I just know that people lump them into two different species, but they're kind of just the East and West variant. Yeah. And if this is complicated to anyone out there, it's complicated to us as well. I think we just spent, what, 30 minutes trying to align this perfectly and we still are not aligned perfectly. So Neanderthals are are more known for their thrusting spears, as Uncle Joe Neander- Brogenthal said, and that's might be why their skeletons are extremely like battered. Uh, they think it might be interpersonal violence, or it's just like somewhat like they were falling all the time down cliffs. It was the ice age; it's cold. They're wrestling a lot, maybe. Or the more logical thing would be like you can't tell, you can't distinguish interpersonal violence from walking up to a rhino and getting gored by it pretty like easily with a thrusting spear. I mean, you can see parry wounds on arms that happens sometimes, but you also have to parry like an animal that's charging you. 
So it, it's hard to determine. But the point being, they, they use thrusting spears. There's not a lot of evidence, and I would say not any, of Neanderthals using projectile technology. Like they, they and, just didn't have it. And, and during this time, there's not really good evidence for Homo erectus using it either, right? Are the Schoeningen spears, are those Homo erectus? I can't remember. I think those are, they might be Neanderthal, but I think they're, they're thrusting spears. That would be Shea, Shea at all. We don't conventionally think of them as using projectile technology during this time. No. Um, the earliest evidence we have, at least indirect, for use of the atlatl is from Australia, from Mungo Man, and that's because of atlatl elbow. Is that that's what it is? Yeah, so like that would be the biological evidence for it. Atlatl elbow is like a distinct pathology that you see on Homo sapien. I think it's their radius i want to say like down at the very like where the humerus meets the radius and ulna it's like a spur that kind of grows on your arm from repeated use of throwing an, an atlatl and mungo man in australia has that in lake mungo where they found his body and that's about forty-two thousand years old the idea that that atlatl like technologies existed for at least like seventy thousand or so years in africa but i can't for the life of me remember the um the citation for that but like the first like direct evidence we have of it where we actually have a dart attached to or a, a stone point attached to a dart is 17,000 years ago. And that's in it's either France or Spain or Germany. Yeah. In France. Okay. Uh, where we actually get the preservation of that. So it's, it's believed to be the direct evidence is believed to be earlier than bow technology. Yes. That would be the conventional wisdom. Yeah. So the earliest, at least indirect evidence for the appearance of bow and arrow technology comes from uh, Sibudu Cave. South Africa? Yeah, in South Africa. And it's around like 70,000 years ago. Um, yeah. And so- that's an interesting one, too, because they, like, they're like little blade looking things, but they were found in like piled on top of each other in like what would have been like a quiver or a pouch. Because it's just weird. They were all laid in a similar direction. Like, it'd be weird if they were just thrown into a bag. But they were probably attached to the end of either sticks or something that you were, like, a rudimentary arrow. I think that's pretty good evidence of that. But it could be a, something and else. And that's combined with, like, use wear, too, right? And impact. I believe, uh, yeah, use wear. And I believe there's residue analysis on it, too. If I, I, I might be conflating it with something else. But you guys can look that up. Yeah. But we, we don't... We don't, and that, at that point, we don't have a projectile point attached to a arrow. Absolutely, that doesn't that that comes much later, around ten thousand years ago, in Stelmore, Germany. So later, in theory, than that little technology, but kind of coming from the same area, which is which is really interesting. I think that they're all kind of coming from the same area. Yeah. And I also, when I was doing my thesis on this, I think it was kind of interesting that like I was finding very similar dates for the invention of both. My thought on that would be like, that's when you can see the stone versions of them. But if you just think about it, if any, like if there's a lot of things we could like postulate or like ponder about technology in the past, an atlatl is inherently way more simple than stringing together a bow um, and like making all the sinew. So it's just like, just logically, it's a sim- simpler technology. We don't know, like, if that was invented first or not, but you could see, like, I guess just play with me here. There's 
just a sharpened long stick and then another ship stick that has like an L shape to it, you're throwing an atlatl. That's all you need. But an arrow is inherently more complex, but you can also just have a wooden one. So you wouldn't see that either. So I, I would argue that the atlatl was a far older technology because it's just so much easier to, to just make. But we don't know that because like if they had some kind of cordage, you could have pretty much figure out like if I pull it tight and like do that, like the ethnomusicology guy we had was saying you could make like a jaw harp out of it too. Like we have no idea. I mean, they're still both complex tools. Yeah. They're simple machines. Yeah. And they're compound. I mean, like it's easy to talk about these things today, but the, the logical leap to make a six foot long dart and attach it to another, like it's still extremely complex. Like theoretically, like if like bare bones, you looked at two, you'd be like, okay, yeah, that can see the bow being, more complex than the atlatl, but even just that first making the first atlatl is still just like that's still a huge fucking transition. Yeah, because yeah, like it's yeah. so different from like previous technologies where you don't have any sort of compound yeah. sort of technology. And they're um, more, and we, and that's they're more likely like the delivery system is different, but without the atlatl dart, which is also probably fletched and hafted, you don't get arrows. So. They're both very yeah. complex. So, I mean, just like, just, and that's not saying David's wrong because I'm not. I'm just saying, like, for our audience, mm-hmm. the wrong for someone to come up with this <laughs> to be like, what if I made this giant? Because I want to kill something, but it's 30 feet away from me and I don't want to move. You know, like, that's, that's a huge leap in human thinking. Yeah. Cause you're, you're already throwing spears, but like, then you would just be like, uh, maybe you launched it up your foot one day and you're like, well, that was cool. Like, let me make something that replicates my foot. Um, How do we know like, the oh, earliest? Yeah. Do we have dates for the earliest spear? Shonen spears is the only thing I can think of. Uh, there's probably some in Africa. But again, probably. Homo erectus probably just had sharpened sticks that they burned over a fire. Yeah. Uh, we have no no way to see it. Yeah, and, um, and also like there's a there is a sampling bias definitely towards Europe, which is like what they were talking about earlier. Why do we see yeah. a lot more physical evidence in Europe? It's because Europe is far more archaeologically investigated than the second continent of the world. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Africa is number two. Asia, Africa. North oh, Asia. I thought you meant Europe. I was like, I feel like Europe's like the smallest. No, 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 no. Uh, no Africa's huge and also gotcha. rife with geopolitical conflict making it difficult and blah, 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 blah yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I thought I, I was always I was talking with Todd, Todd Servell and Spencer the other day, and I was like, you know, I, making that first step, you know, creating the technology is hard. I do think replication from there is much easier. Like that to makes sense. Yeah, reproduce it, but like, oh, that person was using a stick on another stick. I think I can reproduce that and create it for myself. Yeah. And like, I, I would be curious to know, like a baby, do, would they figure out a lever technology first or would they figure out a spring technology first? And like, not to say that humans are infantile, but like you just, I'd be curious to know which one comes first. I assume lever, but like with a toy that has strings on it, you also then have a spring. So like, don't know. Yeah. But that's, but when we see these things invented, we kind of see them widespread pretty quickly. It's not just like it's not yeah. a slow slow burn. It's it spreads pretty quickly, which is really interesting. Yeah. Well, according to Graham Hancock, it's because the Atlanteans 
Mm. On that note, we'll be right back. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. I, I don't have an introduction like David. I just I just do not have the capacity for that. But welcome back to segment two of episode one forty six of Life Rooms Podcast. So in the in the first segment, we were setting the stage for you all on what is going on in Europe during the the, the uh, UP. And we're not talking about the upper peninsula of Michigan, we're talking about upper Paleolithic. Paleolithic. Yes. And so the impetus for this is a recent article that came out in Science Advances. It is a research article titled Bow and Arrow Technology of the First Modern Humans in Europe 54,000 Years Ago at Mandarin, France. And this is by Lorraine Metz et al. And they don't have an abstract, but I have an introduction. Do they have an abstract? It's like I'm, I'm looking right at it. Oh, Yes. Consensus in archaeology is positive that mechanically propelled weapons such as the bow and arrow or spear throw or dart combinations appeared abruptly in the Eurasian record with the arrival of anatomically and behaviorally modern humans in the upper Paleolithic. Hashtag UP. I mean, parentheses UP after 45,000 to 42,000 years ago. While evidence for weapon use during the preceding Middle Paleolithic MP in Eurasia remains sparse. The ballistic features of MP points suggest that they were used on hand-cast spears, whereas upper Paleolithic lithic weapons are focused on microlith technologies commonly interpreted as mechanically propelled projectiles, a crucial innovation distinguishing UP societies from preceding ones. Here we present the earliest evidence for mechanically propelled projectile technology in Eurasia from layer E of Grot Mandarin 54,000 years ago in Mediterranean France, demonstrated via use-wear and impact damage analysis. These technologies associated with the oldest modern human remains currently known from Europe represent the technical background of these populations during the first incursion to the continent. I don't like how they say weapons. Was that? Yeah. That's a loaded term. It's a buzzword. It is. It's a buzzword. Yeah. I don't necessarily have too many qualms with it, but I like, I didn't think about that point until right now when you pointed out, like we shouldn't, like we should just say projectile technology. Not weapon yeah, or tool. Yeah. yeah, like it's just like weapon. A little more woke. What? No, weapon to me just comes across <laughs> as like hunting people implement. Right. But not even well, yeah. just trying to kill people. That's what it is. <laughs> but yeah, weapon <laughs> weapon sounds more like killing other people, whereas tool sounds like you use something to hunt. Like um, I would, I would bet it's more of a you know hunting technology. Much like a modern hunting rifle is a way of life and not a weapon. 
Hey, it's my home defense rifle. <laughs> That's right. Your <laughs> AR. <laughs> my semi-auto AR. Yeah. For like a hundred hundred meters or what do you... I, yeah, I, I you ever fired rifle. one? I, if you had to pick to defend yeah. a home with a six-shooter or an AR, I'm going to probably pick AR. But <laughs> anyway. No, you go shotgun. Shotgun's the, the foolproof. I would, just, I would just use a Kentucky long rifle because... <laughs> Fuck it, might as well. I'd use a German <laughs> Shepherd. I'm gonna um, use a, I'm gonna use a cannon. It's good for like I'm one gonna really use a blunderbuss. <laughs> <laughs> Just loaded uh, with Legos. Yarg. <laughs> Shoot it at their feet. But anyway, the an, the ancient blunderbusses uh, would be projectile MPPs. They're calling a modern project or mechanical projectile. What was it? What are they saying? Uh, oh, that's that's the the UK guys, right? The MPs. <laughs> yeah, military police. Uh, what are they calling it? Um, it is MP, Middle Paleolithic. So, Sorry. Yes. I mean, one of the big Mechanically things. Mechanically propelled projectile technology. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So they're suggesting that what they're seeing in this cave in France based on the lithic debutage. Now, like some of the things we talked about in the last segment, we're not, there's no evidence for the wooden arrow shaft or fletching, right? This is just analyzing the lithic technology and they're analyzing these points and suggesting that they're arrowheads. So there's no, so this is like circumstantial evidence, which is great. We do that all the time in archaeology. And in the courts. Yep. However, for our American audience, which we're used to some of the most gorgeous and well-worked lithic technologies in the entire world, the European points were much more uni- blade. Yeah. They're very unifacial. I like, if I saw one of these in like an American context, like David has said, it looks like a blade or a scraper or shatter, but these folks are suggesting that these are arrowheads and they have some science behind it. Um, but this is out of my wheelhouse. Yeah, but once, I, once, I, again, once I guess what I'd, what I'd like to. I'm sorry for cutting you up, but what I, what I'd like to see is like a comparison of because they have a table, table one, the values and statistical results for archaeological, experimental, and ethnographic points. I would very much like to see these data in comparison to like North American blade technology, like the shatter and scrapers, and see what the Mm-hmm. relationship is I, I would like to say at looking at them one Europe has a lot more I mean they mostly have blade technology so like this isn't out of the norm for them here mm-hmm. I'd be like what especially if this was like a pre-Clovis site I, I, we should probably talk about this in the third segment this site my first impression of this paper it has a complex they're uniformly made tools and they're there's tools. There's more than four of them uh, that are definable as tools. You can see the the notchings are the the flake scars on them and things. That's a tool. So like this is the kind of stuff we're talking about when we see an article of something in the Americas that's really old. It doesn't look like this. Not to say that it should look European. I'm just saying like this is like okay. There's a culture of people here making this. Pre-Clovis sites often are just like you got to squint your eye and look at it. Anyway, regardless, these look just like what those things in South Africa are in that little quiver like formation. So to me, I think that is like fine. You don't even need like adhesive really. You could just wedge these things into the end of a stick and use it as a thrusting thing, but they are very tiny and that is a little sus to me. But then at the same time, what are you using these for? 
that tiny. Maybe cutting fiber, leatherworking, don't know. But the use wear on it doesn't really indicate leatherworking to me. I don't know. And then, you guys and think? then another thing I have, dude, this is so out of my wheelhouse. Like that, that's the issue. I want to like, ask you about the dates. What do you think about the dating techniques? Uh, the dates are fine. Okay. I mean, like it's, it's decent Bayesian. Like I got to see the supplementary files actually to really look at their code, but they do Bayesian in there. And my guess is the dates are pretty good. My issue isn't necessarily with the dates. Like it's with, <sighs> the attribution of these being humans. And so you have to go to an earlier article that, uh, as opposed Metz to was on, on. And so it, it's slimic at all and science advances in a research, also a research article from 2022. And it's based on the same cave cause it's the same, same context. And they're saying that there are modern humans in Neanderthal territories, 54,000 years ago in France, which is much earlier than what is believed humans reach. Europe, like Homo sapiens sapiens, because that's like what thirty five thousand years ago from like Turkey, bro. Like Lascaux and stuff is like thirty nine thousand years old. Yeah, humans humans still, have been there for like a hundred thousand years. No, when do but when do modern humans get to Europe? Behaviorally modern. Well, that's the debate. Like, did they just wake up as behaviorally modern humans one morning, or like was it a culture spreading from Africa? But like, I'd say. At least fifty thousand years back to a hundred thousand no, years. No, humans this, in Europe. this is yeah. No, I, I know that's not correct. Okay, I know wrong. They've wrong. been around for a hundred thousand years, but not in Europe. Ah, because, okay, like, you're part right. of that part of that yeah. whole thing. So the article talks about it. Like the earliest first settlements of modern humans in Europe have been constrained to forty five thousand to forty three thousand years ago, and in starting in Greece. So okay. now they're pushing humans into France 54,000 years ago. When's so. Aragnastian? Because I know those are like the oldest like defined culture there. I mean, Arg. One of those, like, there, I know there's a debate that Homo 43,000. Yeah. Okay. yeah. 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 Early modern humans. Yep. Okay. You're right. Yeah. So, so now that we have 44, 40, 54,000 years ago in France, which is like, wait a minute. So this is kind of similar to like the pre Clovis Clovis thing. Like when we talk about, it's nowhere near as as a stretch as Monteverde, but like yeah. there is a gap between where we know humans are fifty four thousand years ago in Africa versus France, and so that's that's a whole different story. But the the way they get to fifty four thousand years ago in France is it's not based on genetic material; it's based on dentition. So they looked at mm-hmm. the people in the cave at these different levels. And based on that, they think some of those molars are human and the context of that has been dated 54,000 years. And they talk about in this paper, they were thinking about doing genetic analysis on the teeth there, but they did it on horses of similar age and they couldn't get the genetics out. So they didn't want to risk because like any sort of DNA analysis is going to be destructive. So like they have a thing in this 2022 article before deciding whether ancient DNA extraction of rare, of rare precious hominid remains could be successful. We assess the overall DNA preservation rate at Mandarin using six equid teeth excavated from layers B to G. So that was their thing behind it. So I don't know anything about dental morphology between anatomically modern humans and Neanderthals, but they use that as the basis to suggest like on a couple of teeth, 
Once again, we're talking about paleoanthropology, which we have bitched about on this podcast a times <laughs> about the lack of statistical data behind everything they do because they have so few remains that they're like, people are in France 4,000 years ago. That is, that's a big deal. Yeah. Take our word for it. That's a big deal. And then they use this to go for a supplementary paper that's like, and by the way, those same humans that shouldn't be here also brought with them the bow <laughs> like uh, 10,000 years earlier too. And so my question is like, I don't have a dog in this fight or a cat or a rooster, whatever. Goat. If they are wrong, if, the, if those teeth are Neanderthal, that would then suggest Neanderthals had bow and arrow technology in Europe which would be fucking revolutionary because we don't believe they had that and would therefore also upset our understanding of human Neanderthal interaction, technological replacement and species stuff in Europe. Hmm. That's my, that's my critical lens looking at this is like, wait a moment, but I don't know anything about dentition. So I'm not going to say these people are wrong. They're experts in this field. But how different are Neanderthal teeth from human teeth? They're all two one two. Like we're all the same old world dentition, but like I assume they have bigger mouths, like because their skulls are a little bigger. But like we were still interbreeding, so like one of them had a regular teeth, the next one was like change dynate, like when it was born. <laughs> <laughs> so. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect you guys to laugh at that so hard. <laughs> Make a meme about that. But anyway, yes, like I, I don't think I think getting into the weeds on that is like not really too like much about bow. Well, I mean, I, I see your point, but yeah, it would be revolutionary if it was actually Neanderthal, not Homo sapien, but also like even the fact that humans are there in France that early, also with the bow. Once again, circumstantial evidence because it's just the points. And I mean, I want to ask you, David, you did an experiment for your thesis in which you had like uh, one style of projectile point made of obsidian, like 30 different sizes. How different, like in terms of like an atlatl point from a bow point, are we talking about that really affect transmission? I would say, you got, well, I have multiple answers to that, but Cervell Wagespeck. Heinemann and what's the other Mythbusters name? Savage. I'll have a paper together where you could use a bow and arrow with just a sharpened piece of wood. Does the same thing. It doesn't bleed as well. Like the arrow gets kind of plugged in there like a suction, but the, the point then would help with the ripping of the flesh and like allow for bleeding better. But also I've talked with Nathaniel Kitchell about this. It's a professor at Dartmouth. I think he like uh, essentially a, a point at the end is just weight. Like you just need something to lot like on the end of there to like make it fly better. And that my, my experiment kind of showed that like weight really affects how the projectile goes, but like those arrows without points on it still would have shot right there, you yeah. know? So you were shooting, uh, how big were the, the biggest points? Biggest points were like, like 30 grams. Um, they were chonkers. Like, like it was like a mm, height, like inches. Can you trying to think they, they were basically like the size of like a regular Mississippian, like, fat spearhead arrowhead at little dart they look like knives like put put it out like they're they're big i can't remember yeah. the size in millimeter to look it up but 
with that being said, like these are perfect. It's perfectly acceptable to me, especially if I want to go with the thing in South Africa being points. These look just like those, like kind of. Uh, they look more like these than they don't. I don't want to say like Salutrian versus Clovis point, but like these, these are pretty much the same thing. It wouldn't be crazy to me then that that technology diffused pretty quickly to North Africa then, and then that through the Levant or through Morocco into Europe, and then Neanderthals adopted it because they weren't dumb. They could have figured it out if they had it traded to them. But also, like, I think we often conflate, like, Neanderthals couldn't have done this because they're not as intelligent as people. But, like, we forget that, like, much like Clovis to me, it's a technology and a culture. It's not a biology thing. So, like, this is totally fine to me, especially if the dates are right. But, like, whether it was Neanderthals, don't know. If it was people, sure. But again, like Carlton's saying, Neanderthals were still pretty prevalent in Europe at this time. So then it would it would scream Neanderthal. So I don't know. Yeah, this both these arguments hinge on like very circumstantial evidence. But I think that's my biggest beef with kind of these these indirect arguments. And like, I'm not a use wear analysis person. I'm not an impact fracture person. And maybe this shows really well in projectile points when you do experimental stuff, etc. But use wear and impact fracture as a marker for technology is hard for me to, it doesn't feel, I don't feel strongly mm-hmm. and trust that data very much unless you're getting an actual arrow with a, with a point on it or a dart with a point on it. If that preserves, that makes me feel good that that technology exists. But if we're going to look at points that had gone through a series of post depositional processes, mm-hmm. a crazy use life like that, I think there's a lot of error potentially within that, to possibly get where things like that. I agree. That might- uh, something I noticed about this paper too is like those, those, the pictures of them scream to me that they, it's possible, but like their, their methods, I was like, what are you like? I didn't figure out what they did. Like, I was like, Oh, you just impacted them. Like, you know, maybe I just didn't read it correctly, but it didn't seem to compare. It wasn't like a full on fledged out experiment to me. Yeah. And, and sorry, I, I did mean to mention something about dates. I have another- fucking postcard here and I absolutely forgot to, to mention it. 54,000 years ago on radiocarbon dates, the half-life of radiocarbon, it's like just beyond the half-life. Like it is pushing the boundaries of, of carbon dating. Gotcha. Those dates um, are. So like they talk about it. They're like, yeah, because it's probably beyond the 50,000 year marker. So like it gets, there's a, they're, they're pushing the boundaries on, on C14 to its limit. And these are things I don't think about. Right. And then what we've all kind of talked about is like, we're used to working on a lithic culture, lithic cultures, lithic technologies that are far more sophisticated or complex than this. Like this is early shit and we're just, and I'm not used to seeing it or like mm-hmm. even the way they are talking about their hafting. I, I don't know. Cause I don't, I'm not used to seeing that or understanding that. And I'm, and I'm, you know, we have humans here, confirmed 15,000 years ago well within the range of radiocarbon dating so like this is like looking at this it's just like it it just doesn't feel right but i it's i don't know enough to dispute it yeah it's like, right. <laughs> question then to lead us in the next segment like with it being right on the cusp of radiocarbon being accurate or not also with neanderthals quote dying out 40,000 years ago in europe and humans getting there about forty two to forty eight thousand. What would we decide? Yeah. Forty two thousand. Mm-hmm. Like fifty thousand years is not that far of a stretch from four. You're not saying two hundred eighty thousand years. You're saying 
it's a matter of like it's like ten thousand years. Yeah. But, but even then, that also changed because like the whole idea of how Neanderthals went quote unquote extinct because like humans just arrive as Neanderthals are leaving. So even if these are humans fifty thousand years ago, that extends the overlap by ten thousand years. Like it, it, it. It's the dog versus wolf skull debate to me. Like when when do you call it Neanderthal? When do you call it human? Especially right at that like twilight. It really uh, throws a, a wrench. I don't know. It's really like that meme of a hand putting X. a stick in his own bicycle wheel. Like it's like <laughs> this. It's like <laughs> no matter how you cut this, it it changes things. It changes interpretations like pretty radically. Either who has the technology, how long humans have been there. And if, it's like it's kind of it's, it's not as bad as Saruti in terms of like the consequences of the results, but these are present and they are still as prevalent that they have to 10,000 years is a long time. Yep. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. We'll end this and we'll get back into um, stuff and things. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome back to episode 146 of a Life in Ruins podcast. I think that last segment was coherent. The first one, we apologize for it in advance because it was dead and Carlton was doing a hamster ball in his brain. Well, I so, can't apologize in advance because it already happened. Apologize. I'll apologize whenever the fuck I want. <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> um, uh, yeah. So what were you going to say? This is published in Science Advances, so it is not a archaeology specific journal, but it does publish archaeology articles. So I'm going to just put that in your ear as a little skepticism coming from me, but I also don't publish. So take that with a grain of salt. I'll publish you. That's stupid. Or smoke it like a grain of salt, whatever David's doing. Just write a regular paper. That's easy to read. That's not behind a paywall. I'd like maybe people will stop buying Hancock books. Yeah. This science advances is not behind a paywall. Good. The, the whole, the whole model that I was just about to explain the difference between science and science advances and science advances is the open access model. So okay. these people oh. paid a shitload of money or their institutions. Oh, did. right. Cause you have to pay it. Yeah. Well, that's paywall. Yeah. But to my, my point being like when you guys send me articles, sometimes I have to like log in to like someone else's account to like read it. But this one at science advances, I forgot is, yeah, you're right. And there's another one that's, you could read like online too. Is it, it's not nature. It is. Penis. 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 Okay. Not penis. Penis. <laughs> penis. Parentheses, next opponents. Proceedings <laughs> of the National <laughs> Academy of Sciences. Sciences. Yeah. Yeah. Parentheses, so like, next opponents, addition, subtraction. One, just real quick, an issue that David talked about, like to do an open access journal or submit to one, you have to put a lot of money up front 
to do that, which does limit the, which scholars can do that. Some institutions will allow you to, I mean, it's like thousands of dollars, like, or you publish in a paywall in which people have to access it through $50 a year. Anyways, it's a whole thing. Sapiens articles though, peer reviewed scientific blog posts. That's it. Sapiens. Yeah. Yes. And they, they published two, two of these articles within the same, within a year. So, I mean, yeah. they have the money to do it, which is, is interesting and maybe why this is getting spread as wide as it is. I don't think science advances is physical. Like I'm pretty, that's why it's kind of easy to, once you submit to one of these things, like mm. it's, it's out. So like for, for instance, the, the bow and Aerotech one, they received it June 15th, 2022. It went through revisions. It was accepted January 25th. And then it was posted online February 22nd, which is a very quick turnaround time for so accepted you, to being out. You're so talking about years normally, right? It can be. It depends on the journal. Like I think American Antiquity right now, the wait is like at least a year. My thesis is taken since 2017, dude. I don't get it. You have to submit it first. <laughs> <laughs> you have to submit it first. <laughs> I was waiting for you guys to call me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't have a dog in that fight or a cat or a thylacine. Like I, I don't know what to do, but if this one, I forget why we get on open access. Like what, what were we going to talk about? We're just talking about, we were just mentioning, cause we talk about another, when we do these articles that we actually mentioned the journals itself. And so we just put that out there. We said it, I don't know if it's bad or good. Carlton seems to think that it's, it's, it's really that positive. Said. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's, it's one of the more reputable, like to get a, a paper in scientific advances, that's a big deal because that shows that you're able to acquire the money for it. So like it's, it's a whole thing in, in the ivory tower. It's one of those journals that if you have at least one pub in there. So, okay. I got two. Yeah, buddy. Nice. I'm like fifth and 20th co-author, but it, it <laughs> it's on there somewhere. <laughs> well, it counts as one. Yeah. <laughs> Paywall and open access aside. So for our audience, both the papers that we we just mentioned, Neanderthals and humans at this cave, bows and arrows at this cave, we'll put the article down below. It is open access. You can click on it and you can read these papers for yourself. These are, in my opinion, a little jargon heavy. It I had to read through both of these a couple times because it's it, they're they're very quick articles, so they're very dense in content. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree with that. I had to listen to it on like speech. Like I had to have it read it to me because I was like, I can't focus. Like this is too much. Yeah. That's normally me though. Cause I need people to read me story time. Yeah. So we will drop those articles, but if you want to pay us for them, we'll take your money. Uh, <laughs> we'll put our Venmo account in there. So feel free. But this does bring up a good point as to why you should adopt or not adopt technologies or what the deal is. So like we know that atlatls and bows were used contemporaneously in the Americas for at least a thousand years, because both show up thousand AD ish, medieval warm period, middle Tuesday. Yeah, night. so yeah, <laughs> and there, there's pots at Spiro and other Mississippian sites which show people with both atlatls and bows. And we know when Cortez got to the Aztec Empire in Mesoamerica, he was attacked by atlatls and bows. Some, you know, people in Australia had both and still use them, so it's like they exist together. The Europeans seem to, and Africans just kind of got rid of atlatls altogether. It it looks like. It is interesting though that they do coexist. You feel like the, I feel like that's an arms race that usually one technology emerges out of, and is usually more efficient and replaces previous iterations. Yeah, of it. 
Well, and like Devin said, oh, yeah, go ahead. no, please. Uh, like he was saying, like in Mesoamerica, it was more of like a costly signaling type thing. Like, like you were just like, not like your, your weapon load out. Someone was like, I'm an island guy. The other person was, I'm, I'm a bow guy, which like, that also leads me to think like, that's probably the case. Like my thesis was saying you could use either with those big points. So like it was just preference, but. And even context today, we have a black powder season. We have a bow season in some parts in New England and Canada. There is a javelin season. Now, granted. It's oh, my God. Like, Has someone looked at that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I've not read that. It's a thing. It was it, totally. Like uh, versus atlatls versus bows? Children. Like do seasonal? Pretty okay. thing. Like they, it's kind of like what children in Canada learn on is javelin hunting because it's earlier. So like, and which leads into the point, right? Like we're talking about context, people like atlatl bow, they use at the same time in American, specifically in American hunting context, there are different seasons. So it is kind of like, if you want to use a rifle during rut, you can't unless you're doing black powder. And then it's, it's easier to, you know, there's a whole mating season fall. So it depends on hunting strategies, but we do know people today. Like I thoroughly enjoy black powder. It's actually cost prohibitive for me to get into it because the yeah. rifles are more expensive. The tack and equipment is more expensive. So there's kind of a, an inverse. It's easier for me to go to the local gun store to the bargain bin and get like a hundred dollar 30 out six. than it is like a $600 planes, black powder rifle, buy all the brass caps buy all the balls so like yes what's a black yeah. are you talking like a musket yeah you do like you actually do powder and you you put it in there like you're playing like yankee doodle in the background biting Didn't off I ever send you that snapchat of me a couple years ago where i'm dressed up as a victorian and i say the only there can only be one queen but victoria and then i fire devin's black powder <laughs> rifle you might want to delete yeah. that when you publish yeah, yeah. a book <laughs> um, i do want <laughs> dude like what the fuck um well, I, I meant to, to ask. Oh, sorry. You no, I was going to say, I, although I'm not discounting what you're saying because modern hunting preferences are obviously different, but I think hunting for food and for living is a different context 100%. than hunting for sport. Yes. Yeah. 100%. yeah. I will totally say that, but, but, yeah. but, but, but obviously there is still some overlap and some like either nostalgia or some uh, situations where the atlatl is better in situations and it exists up until, you know, yeah. Today. Yeah. I, I think pre- pre- personally, and once again, I don't have a capybara in this fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best one. Pop <laughs> just, like, I'll just keep throwing shit in, like, just, like, I don't have, you know, just, like, I don't have ferrets in the fight. <laughs> <laughs> you got the whole zoo pals collection, bro. <laughs> I when when I did played battle addle with Devin and Justin, people at Hellgap and battle addle is a sport they invented to test this hypothesis in relation to Grund at Grund's dissertation in which you take an addle addle. You don't have to with a stone point. What you do have to with is a nerf football and then you wear a hockey pads and you make a little Mish tech shield out of a sled and then you throw them out of each other. Battle addle. It's like pretty easy. Now, granted, the ballistics are different to block and maneuver away from atlatls unless you get five on five and throw them in mast. Then it becomes fucking difficult. That said, when you put a Nerf football on an arrow and launch it from a bow, that is terrifying. And like, yeah. you can't dodge that. It's really hard to block. And it's even like when you go from throwing out ladles at 10 yards from each other to firing a bow at someone who's prepared for it, 30 yards, 
the velocity behind the arrow at 30 yards will reach its target before the uh, the atlatl from 10. So there is a Best hypothesis Mel Gibson's apocalypto. Yeah. So there there is a difference like in terms of just like if you want to kill somebody, yeah, an arrow's pretty good. But as we've talked about on this podcast, we know people hunted megafauna with atlatls, so they are effective because even though they have lower velocity, they have greater impact than mm-hmm. mass. Much yeah, more blunt force trauma, right? So that's my personal experience. Once again, I do not have a Carolina parakeet anywhere associated <laughs> with this fight. <laughs> but like just from the personal experience, and anyone can do that if they have Nerf footballs and or Adelaide tech. So, and David, you've, yeah. you've noticed and you've studied this. There is an increase in violence in the past once the bow and arrow technology like appears. Yes. Like as somebody be- with a bandicoot in this battle, I would say <laughs> that had <laughs> that locked and loaded, dude. Yes, like a violence, like bows and arrows are much more effective at killing people because you can hold many more arrows on your back or on your side quiver. Archers are a toxic community, by the way. Like you really, they didn't put it on their backs. They really didn't put it on the side. It like uh, I shoot it just as fast from my back. So whatever. Yeah, that happens. Like the bow and arrow, like right around the middle of the warm periods. Like we talked about last episode. People start bashing each other's brains in like crazy all over the world at that time. And it just so happens the bow and arrow is like pretty prolifically spread a thousand years ago in North America. So yeah, it just it's easier for violence. And agriculture is associated with it. And, and also, yeah. also someone that is not in this Mario Kart race. <laughs> I'm not an Italian in this Mario Kart race? No, it needs, it needs to be the alliteration. What are those called? I'm just not What's racing the, at all. I'm on a, a monotreme. I'm, I'm just doing the no, time the Mario, the Mario mushrooms. The turtle shells? Goomba. Goomba. Koopas. Oh, I'm not a Goomba in this Grand Prix. I, yeah. <laughs> um, it's also to to be more, to be stealthier. It's easier yeah. to fire a bow stealthily. Like the, the mechanics of firing a bow are much more reserved to the upper body. Well, because if you want to throw at a ladder, like if I'm hiding behind a tree and I want to hit an elk, mm-hmm. I have to get away from the tree and then I also have to like step into it. It's a way more full body motion. Whereas like the bow, I can just, you know, it's much more upper back. It's much more traps. I just know Donnie is listening right now and he's like shitting himself because he's going to be like, (laughs) I can do that. And he's going to send me a video and be like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like throw an atlatl stealthily. Can you um, throw an atlatl while you're on the ground? You know that's probably yeah. right. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking about my personal yes, yeah. throwing style. Like I, I would like, agree. I have to think about it. It's like it's a it's a lot more. What's the word? I'm like not exotic, expressive. To, to and, and when I throw an atlatl, it's way more expressive and I'm way more intensive in it. Whereas with the bow, it's, it's conducive to emphatic emphatic hand gestures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I, was, I meant to ask this before and I, I kind of got sidetracked from it, but like when I asked, like, has someone researched that? Has somebody researched bow versus atletal use in seasonal hunting strategies in the past? I didn't mean like modern. Devin has in his disc. Okay. Cause I would be really curious to know what that's like. I didn't think about it. Yeah. And he also in Devin's dissertation, he did find that modern day bow hunters in Africa have far greater success rates than rifle hunters in Colorado and in the West. Who does? Uh, this This is Devin African, Pettigrew, by Afri- the way. Yeah, Devin Pettigrew, uh, Dr. Devin Pettigrew, who's been on the podcast like two or three times, and she's appeared in our videos. African Bushmen today that hunt with bows and arrows or have a greater mm. success rate than modern. And yeah, it's a whole. They're pretty damn good. 
He, yeah. he definitely talks about that. So go listen to previous episodes with him. He's the expert. He actually has Boat, a pterodactyl. Yeah, a pterodactyl in this fight. So he has an orca in this free willy show. <laughs> so this article, which was the main part of part of this this the main idea of this podcast today, where are we at? Meh. What Perhaps. questions do we have for the audience listening? All three of us contribute a different aspect of our archaeological understanding. We at a, and we're applying this to a paper that and an archaeological culture and complexes that we're not familiar with. We're not saying they're right or wrong, but it's interesting articles regardless, and they ask they open a lot of doors to reinterpreting known relationships either between ancestral humans and their technology or relationships between ancestral human subspecies to one another. It's yeah, no, it's, it's exciting stuff that is being conducted. And, uh, you clearly don't have an ocelot in this octagon. (laughs) (laughs) I love how we just moved to alliteration. (laughs) Maybe that's what we should do. Someone should fund the three of us to do, because that's what these, the seven ages guys do like they get together and go travel around. Yeah. But they're adults with like salaries. We're, we'll we're also adults with salaries. Some of us. Some of us. Yeah. Um, one of a, uh, one of us. Is I left that department. life. <laughs> yeah. How's, this, how's it been going? Not great. I've hospitalized. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have some questions. That's what I think we should end it at. We have, we have some questions. Yeah. I, I know I said the last three episodes, I'm going to post an Instagram post about this podcast and I'll let you guys discuss. But Donnie did ask me today, like, I, where do I like actually post comments and stuff? Apple, Apple podcast, you can comment and leave reviews, but I, I need to be better about putting, we need to be better about posting on the, the podcast, Instagram, this stuff. This one should be a cool discussion. Of course, Vinny Bag of Donuts is going to say, what's the species? species? Yeah, right. and I didn't use the Lord's name in vain this time. So thank you, Jay. <laughs> we did. For, we for did get an email. email about I that. appreciate that. To calm down, you're absolutely right, because we don't want to upset those people, and I would never do that. <laughs> I appreciate it. I don't, I'm calling those people though. I don't know that really. He got the point home. He was not. Wrong. <laughs> we will. We will watch our language. We are. We are constantly trying to do that. Well, wasn't this point like? Not to use other deities, not not Jesus. No, he said to use other deities, not Jesus. For, and then also, if I'm going unless to say, you're disproving him, I think as well. Well, it's like equal opportunists. Like yeah, he, he, yes, he's like don't target. It. And a part of that is like yes. And if I'm going to use G, GFC, JFC, I need to be like Jesus, comma fucking comma Christ. I think. <laughs> Regardless, I'm just not going to say it anymore because he was absolutely correct, um, and I appreciate it. So, he's he's see, commented on our stuff a long time. Like, yeah, thanks for he's, he's been really good about giving yeah. us feedback. So like, I can't, I wasn't mad at all. I was like, you know what? He's right. And he's him and, Anne and brought us. I was always like, they gave us really good feedback. So that's another way. Just like email us. Like we really do. Yeah. And look, if you email us, we'll talk about it. We'll give you a shout out. As all right. You're not too dickish. We did roast that one guy. That was like a couple years ago. Well, yeah. What did he say? Oh, that we had a 13 year old sleepover. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Like refrain from that. Be professional. Yeah, thank you. I, I had fun with this episode. If you guys have other topics or articles you want us to talk like this, t- discuss like this, let yeah, us this know. Because this brought us down a rabbit hole because we're both, once we were all like, oh yeah, let's talk about it. And then we all kind of dove into the article. We're like, wait a minute. Yeah. There's I had nice figures. I had nice figures. Yeah. It was like, wait, there's some, this needs some, 
some delving into. So, so if you have a panda in this Pelea, um, that's not going to work, I think. What's a Pelea? A fight. Uh, lucha. lucha. Isn't that Mexican say. food? If you have a llama in this lucha, <laughs> you need to, <laughs> Nacho. Uh, yeah, let us know what you think, and I'll make a post, I promise, uh, on Monday for this. Sweet. And uh, uh, if you want to rate, we have no gators in this gazebo. So. <laughs> what does that have to do with the fight? <laughs> I, I don't I mean, know. Joe Exotic lost gators. gators yeah. yeah, if a gator's in a gazebo, you are going to fight it. I mean, it's the Florida way. That's in their constitution. Right. So we will have the uh, links to these articles in the episode descriptions. Once again, they are open access. so You can read them for yourself. Like, check out these authors. That's one of the cool things about science. Like, if you didn't know that Science Advances was open access and you're interested in stuff like this, they have a bunch of free articles that are peer-reviewed so you know that they're worthy. Yeah, give them a, give them a listen. So, yeah, please be sure to rate uh, the podcast, provide us with feedback on whichever podcast platform you're using this for a show. In order to leave comments, um, it needs to be Apple, but you can five-star us on Spotify and Apple. And with that, we are out. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. And I guess it's time, Connor. Don't you have that joke? I guess. How does the computer get drunk? Um, look, give me a second. Uh... uh. Take screenshots. Ooh. Wasn't that from 20 Days Later? No, uh, The Last of Us? Yeah. So, slackers. God, just stealing shit now. I haven't watched Well, it. I've been stealing shit since day one. <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, Carlton, if you haven't watched The Last of Us, like, it's, it's pretty damn good, dude. And we are out. <laughs> This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. .com.